Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I have literally just had to give my dogs a treat so they can shut up and let mum produce podcast magic. Thank you. Sex, Psych and Self and here we are, episode five. How exciting. I get so excited every week to record these for you. I just, I love it. I love it. And I love hearing your input and hearing how much you loved it and yeah, so exciting. A few things before we start uh, this week's episode. I just want to say um, that April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. So in honour of that and raising awareness for sexual assault, I will be putting some sexual assault help numbers and helplines in the show notes. Um, So that means, yeah, just under the episode on um, Spotify, you'll be able to see some you know, helplines and resources that you can use if you're, you know, interested or need to reach out. Also, I am wanting to do an episode. I just wanted to run it by you because you're all my friends. I'm wanting to do an episode called Nurse Chat where I get uh, a couple of my nurse friends together and because I know so many nurses and we're all so wise in different ways and I want to get a few of my nurse friends together and discuss topics as sent in by you. So if you've ever wanted some medical questions, you know, health questions answered, now's your chance because I'm going to get a couple of my nurse friends together, as I said, and we're going to answer some of your deep and dirty old questions. It doesn't have to be about sex. It can be about anything you want. It can be about blood pressures. It can be about, um, 
I don't know, blood sugars, whatever you want. I'm going to do an th- uh, episode called Nurse Chat. So it'll be a bit further down the line, but it is something that I really want to do. So if you do want to send in a question for Nurse Chat, offer your input into what we think we should offer and put in the podcast, then definitely send us a message or send me a message on the podcast Instagram page. And that is sex psych self pod on Instagram. I'm also, I don't know if I should do a Twitter. I don't, I don't have a personal Twitter. I don't know if Twitter's even a popular thing. So definitely let me know if you would want a Twitter from me. I can definitely post on there. I'm also thinking about doing a TikTok because I'm obsessed with TikTok. I as you probably notice, I literally mention it in every single bloody episode. But I want, I'm thinking about making a TikTok and doing a sexual health, mental health TikTok, but starring me because I'm the star. I'm the star. So yeah, I definitely think I'm going to make a TikTok. But if you think I should make a Twitter too, let me know because I'm on the edit, like I'm on the fence about Twitter. I don't even know how to, I was going to say toot. I don't even know how to tweet. So If you want to see me tweeting on the Twitter, let me know. Episode five of Sex, Psych and Self. And you probably know if you follow the Instagram page, but this week's episode is on the history of contraception. Now, the reason I wanted to start with the history of contraception is because contraception isn't just going to be one episode. We're going to delve into every separate part of contraception. So I'm going to break all the episodes into like, you know, different strategies of contraception that's available to us as men and women. So I wanted to start with the history of it because I want you to know where your pill came from, where condoms came from and everything in between your female condoms, your diaphragms. I want you to know a little bit of where it came from because I wanted to know where it came from, so here we are. Also, before I start, I just wanted to say that I didn't sing on the way home today from work, so if my vocals are on point, that is probably why. I've also just, as you heard at the start, given my dogs a treat, so they pissed off out of this room because they were annoying me. Children, sausage children. Anywho, what is contraception? Some people don't know what it is and that's okay because I'm here to tell you. Contraception simply means you use an intervention when you have sex, when you have sexual intercourse to avoid getting pregnant. Now, contraception devices, contraceptive devices can aid in stopping STD transmission as well. And we will get on to into that, which ones do that a bit later. You probably already have a sneaking suspicion, but contraception just means an intervention to avoid getting preggers, an intervention to stop being a baby mama. Okay. And I, in my research of all the contraception available, I have not found one contraception that is a hundred percent effective. And I think it's really important to remember that, 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 yeah, you might be on the pill or yeah, you might be, have the bar or get the depot injection, but they're the most effective one I saw was 99% effective. If you really don't want a child, put other measures in place to make sure that you don't become pregnant. Don't be the 1%. There is a sneaking chance. So I just really wanted to reiterate that 
no contraception is 100% effective. And I would love to stress right now that the pull-out method, which I visited a lot in my research, the pull-out method is not effective. In fact, the pull-out method is only 78% effective. But we'll get into that. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's roll. So yeah, the history of contraception, where it came from, where it all started, how long have they been trying not to get pregnant for? I'm about to tell you. Now, the earliest ever recorded birth control, um, so birth control is another you know name for contraception, was recorded in 1850 BC. So BC means before Christ. Um, so your religious beliefs or not, this is a measurement of time that you've probably heard of before. So 18... 1,850 years before Christ was recorded, putting that in quotations. Birth control was recorded in the... um, Watch me butcher this pronunciation. And I'm probably going to pronounce this very Australian, as I do with most things. But the earliest recorded birth control was in Mesopotamia times, which... You're probably like, what is that? Because when I read that, I'm like, never heard of that before. What is it? It is the uh, historical region in West West Asia. So it's pretty much before countries had names, they went by different like labels and West Asia was labeled as Mesopotamia. 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 Yeah, Mesopotamia. That's hard to say. That does not roll off the tongue. And in ancient uh, Egypt, scrolls have actually been found with directions on how to make birth control. Now, through my research, I found that ancient Egyptians were really heavy on the old birth control. They were making every plant, every leaf, every grain of dust and dirt into a form of birth control in hopes of not getting pregnant. An example of this was using honey and an acacia leaf, which an acacia leaf is pretty much just a native plant um, to one of these countries. It's just, yeah, a plant that they'd mix with honey. They'd smish it all about. And I couldn't visit in the research. Some suggested that the women actually inserted it up their vaginas and other research suggests that the women would ingest it. So eat it, swallow it, drink it, whatever, in hopes that it would stop them getting pregnant. I don't know if it's my nurse brain, but a lot of these strategies of contraception that I was reading from ancient times, my brain was screaming, infection control, infection control, infection control. Like, I I would never <laughs> shove some old leaves up my wap. Like, <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> infection control. And it would be scratchy. And never mind pregnancy and STDs. Girl, you're going to get thrush. Like, you are going to get that discharge, you're getting thrush. And I don't think Caniston, old pessaries or Caniston vaginal cream was around back in 1850 BC, was it? I also read that um, it has been recorded that some women back in ancient times were using lint. So I read lint and I'm thinking, you know, lint from a washing machine, but washing machines definitely weren't invented back then. So it, I'm assuming it's just like cotton fabric, like fuzz lint from fabric. Um, they were using it as almost like a like a, a closing, a lid for their cervical openings, um, cervical openings. And it would almost act like a filter. Like, I don't know if you're picturing this in your brain like I am, but 
imagine a cervix and then there's a little opening at the bottom of the cervix that goes into the vagina. Now, a man, as we all know, ejaculates into the vagina and the sperms follow up the cervix into the uterus, into the like fallopian tubes, into the eggs, whatever. Um, So they were using lint, shoving it Sorry, I just punched the microphone away. Shoving it all the way up their WAPs to that cervical opening, pressing it there. So pretty much, I don't know how their fingers could reach because I feel like that's quite far up. But anyways, they were doing it in an act of like a filter to filter the sperm, to stop the sperm from traveling any further up and potentially inseminating their um, little eggies. So, I mean... 100 points. I don't know why I'm clicking, like I'm doing a round of applause, but 100 points for creativity, sis. Like, good job. They Women were really out here going, uh-uh, no, we're having sex for fun. We ain't getting pregnant. So I was really pleased to read that because in my research, I read that birth control methods, the first recorded birth control method was from 1850 BC, but it, they've been trying to do it for years before that without it being recorded. At least that's what some researchers suggest. And I reckon that's cool. I mean, whether, uh, I mean, in some instances I read that it was the man's, um, the man's idea, um, to make a form of contraception for the women, women, but I have no doubt there was like little ancient biddies out there. I have no doubt that there was little ancient biddies out there going, I want to fuck, I want to fuck, and I'm not getting pregnant, let's shovel in up there. All power to you. I, um, so back to the acacia leaf, they were actually using the gum of this plant, the acacia plant, to make a pessary. So a pessary is, if you're not familiar, um, a pessary is like a form of like tablet or bullet or pellet that you insert you can get um caniston pessaries now it's just a little tablet that you insert up your vagina for the treatment of thrush and you can also get pessaries for your bum that you insert up your butthole and um in times where you're constipated in order to make you open your bowels so they were making pessaries out of acacia gum um, and another plant called a sylphium plant Um, Both of these plants are native to North America, Greece and Rome. So they were pretty much just gathering all these bits that they can from their native countries, turning them into pessaries and inserting them. A form of contraception. I didn't read anywhere that this was effective. I didn't read anywhere that it worked. But, I mean, they were trying. And in some countries, such as India and some parts of Asia, are still using natural plant forms of uh, contraception today. In uh, India, they use a plant called Queen Anne's Lace. I couldn't find what they actually do with the plant, but I did read that India is still using that as a form of contraception today, which, I mean, it must have some... some evidence of it working if they're still using it all these years later so and like I mentioned before the pull-out method was super super effective uh effective it's not effective don't listen to me the pull-out method was super super popular even back in ancient times everyone was trying everything they could you know the pull-out method is pulling out right before that point of ejaculation what you should remember though is there is a thing called pre-cum um, and it's the little, 
little squirts um, before the main ejaculation. So those little squirts of pre-ejaculation or pre-cum can actually contain sperm that can fertilize your eggs. So the pull-out method, if used effectively, if used properly and implemented properly, is still only 78% effective, which I was actually surprised to read that statistic or that percentage because I'm like, that's actually really high. Like I was expecting like a 50% or even lower, maybe like a 30%, but nah, it's 78%. So it's not the worst form of contraception, but it's also one of the worst percentage compared to the other ones that we have available to us um, today. That's pretty interesting. I wouldn't recommend it as a sexual health professional and educator. I would, I would not recommend using the pullout method. I think I've never ever thought, Hey, I'm going to get him to pull out because in hopes I won't get pregnant. Maybe just use a condom or go on the pill. I mean, I'm on the pill. And it's pretty darn effective, so. Ancient Greek. Back to these ancient Greeks. So there's a lot of recorded sex and birth control and, um, like, STD facts in ancient Greece. So ancient Greek women were encouraged to drink copper salt dissolved in water to prevent pregnancy for up to one year. So... This is creative, copper salt. I'm not actually so sure what copper salt is. I assume it's some kind of salt infused with copper, which is fine. Like our marinas are like, we've got copper IUDs, copper marinas these days that we insert into the uterus. So this is fine. Apart from the fact that copper salt is actually toxic to humans. So great theory. Terrible when you implement it because it leads to death and your organs literally fail. So I'm not sure I couldn't recall or see anywhere in my research where it said how much of this they were ingesting, but women were dying for this form of contraception. So I would 10 out of 10 not recommend that as a health professional. Probably don't ingest things um, that will kill you in order to use it as a form of birth control. But If only they knew then what we know now. There is also recorded history of women all over um, experimenting with herbs and plants like I offered before. So these women were literally out there in their gardens, out there in nature, grabbing all the herbs, all the plants, all the dirt, all the grains, inserting them in their vaginas and just experimenting, just seeing what works, what didn't, just really trying these concoctions um, concoctions in order to not get pregnant. Now I'm sure you've all heard the ancient tales about the creation of condoms and the history of condoms, because I've definitely heard it before addressing this episode. Condoms have been around for a bloody long time. Like they have been around since the Renaissance. Like they have been around forever. Not the condoms we know today, uh, definitely not. They were primarily used to prevent the spread of STIs. 
The first recorded use of the word condom, and I put condom in quotation marks because they weren't actually called condoms um, back then. The first recorded use of a condom, quotations, was 3,000 years BC. Now, syphilis was their main concern back in ancient times. Syphilis was a major, 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 like, pandemic, if you will. It was running rampant through communities through sexual transmission. Now, I will definitely do an episode on syphilis, so I don't want to get too much into it now, but it is a sexually transmitted disease. Not super common these days, but still definitely is present in society and in communities. Now, back in the olden days and still now, it can actually get into your nerves and travel up to your brain. So back in ancient times, people were literally going crazy, losing their darn minds, and they had syphilis. On top of that, you had heaps of other symptoms in your genitals, and, you know, it can lead to death if untreated. So they were really worried about syphilis, and that was pretty much the main reason. That and another illness that we'll mention a little bit later, that they were trying everything and anything to make a protective barrier between genitals. And you will hear later in the episode that they were really trying everything and anything. It was crazy. Might make you a bit nauseous too. The first guy, the first dude to ever use a condom or try and use a barrier between his genitals was a guy called King Minos of Crete. Now, he had a wife. Well, he actually, he had a wife and he had so many mistresses also. So you could tell that he was getting, um, like, getting pussy on the daily. Like, he was busy with his dick. Um, King Minos of Crete... He was the one that started using these protective barrier between genitals 3,000 years BC. And his wife at the time... Now, I've seen conflicting um, views. Some say that his wife at the time inserted a goat's bladder into her vagina where fur, fur starts with a V. (laughs) His wife inserted a goat's bladder into her vagina. Um, And other people say that he actually had it over his penis as a form of barrier. So he was wearing it like a condom. We don't actually know. It hasn't been confirmed or denied, but we do know that they did use a goat's bladder as a form of protection. This obviously wasn't that effective because they also had eight kids between the two of them. So I don't know how that works because later on in my research, I read that they both were frightened the reason they were wearing protection and that they were married like usually married couples don't bother wearing protection but they both believed that his sperm his semen was evil him king minos and his wife which i'm not gonna say her name because it's this really long name and i i honestly i couldn't even figure out how to pronounce it and I don't want to butcher it even more um but his wife and himself thought that his sperm contained scorpions and serpents because a couple of his other wife or his other mistresses that he'd had previously had died apparently straight after having intercourse with him so they put it down to the fact that no it's not because we 
are literally 3,000 years BC and have terrible healthcare, terrible waste management systems, um, relying on witch doctors and plants as contraception. No, it's not because of that. It's not because syphilis is running rampant through society, but it's because that King Minos has a sperm made out of scorpions and serpents. I mean, seems reasonable to me. I think I've probably gotten with a few guys that have scorpion sperm. I mean, it's probably why it stung after I peed. <laughs> so, I mean, whatever. Like, they were trying. I am a massive advocate of safe sex, as we all know. So if they were trying with goat's bladders to be safe and not get the scorpion serpent sperm, then good on them. Like, sexual education at its finest. And then circling right back to our old friends, the ancient Egyptians, they would actually dye linen sheaths, which I assume, I'm not really familiar with the term sheath, but... I'm assuming it's just a little piece of linen. Um, They would dye them and use them as a form of condom. So they would dye them to differentiate the classes of people. So, you know, we've all heard the term like middle class, high class, lower class. It just pretty much says how wealthy people are. So high class people were your kings and your queens and your princes and your lords and your ladies. Your middle class people were like, you know, just chilling. Have a suburban house in the old ancient Egypt outback, four bedroom, two bath, no running water because it's ancient Egypt, couple kids, couple dogs, probably no dogs because, again, ancient Egypt, definitely some bloody plague rats in the basement. And lower class was your lower, like, okay, we don't even have a house and we probably don't even have a goat's bladder to use as a condom, so... Each colour meant different classes. So if you're of high class, you might get... I'm not sure of the actual colours, but just for example, if you're of high class, you probably got like a purple condom, a purple dyed sheath. I'm not sure why I chose purple. High class in my world would be like pink and sparkly linen sheath. Middle class would be like a really nice like teal, light blue and like low class would probably be like a brown, green, yellow combination. That's Matt. Um, <laughs> I mean, Teddy for president 3,000 3, years BC. And again, our ancient Roman friends used, like I mentioned before, bladders and intestines of all types of animals. So I just want you to picture this. Imagine you're sausages that you get from the butcher and their casing I know we all know that the casing of sausages is actually intestines of an animal um which is fine it's delicious whatevs so imagine that casing of your sausage using that as a condom now the ancient Romans weren't really worried they were worried The ancient Romans really weren't worried about contraception and actually preventing pregnancies, but they were more worried about STDs or venereal diseases, which I've never heard that term for STDs, but it was everywhere in my research. So STDs, um, they were super frightened of this disease called bilharzia or snail fever. And the medical term for this is, (sighs) watch me absolutely kill this. 
Schistosomiasis. Schistosomiasis. Snail fever. <laughs> it's a disease that was caused by parasitic worms that lived in fresh water. So you can imagine back in the ancient times, water wasn't of the most hygienic standard. I mean, I complain about the tap water now. I don't even want to think about the water that they were bathing and drinking back in my ancient days with my ancient Romans and ancient Greeks. But apparently they had parasitic worms that lived in them. And these parasitic worms would penetrate human skin. So literally get their little worm heads and penetrate your human skin into your body and just like fuck up your organs and your blood, like you just get in your blood and it just like run rampant through your body and just like mess up your whole system. So ancient Romans were out here using animal intestines and animal bladders to not catch that, which smart. Don't want that. Understandable. But I couldn't really find a relation to snail fever and sexually transmitted disease because in my research, when I looked it up, it didn't really say like, oh, this is a sexually transmitted disease. So I couldn't really understand it. But all I know is they were using bladders and intestines and they didn't want to get parasitic worms that were eating their skin. So... I mean, fair, their water back then, literally, there was no sewerage system. There wasn't, you know, a flushing toilet. So there was human, women's, human's feces and urine and God knows what else just in the streets everywhere. There was no effective drainage system. Like you can just imagine nothing smelling nice. My face is like, I can feel my face like really screwed up, but everything was just dirty and smelly and our friends the ancient romans actually didn't realize that these bladder condoms that they had invented would also be used as a form of contraception because they didn't realize that if they were actually covering the penis and the tip at which the semen comes out of that that would be used as a form of contraception so once they figured this out they were pretty fucking happy with themselves and they were like shit we can get down, do the dirty, and not get pregnant, not get parasitic worm fever, and not get syphilis. It's a win-win situation. Also, probably not very good form of STD protection or contraception, but again, good job, guys, for trying. We're all about safe sex on this channel. Love it. Coming back more into our modern days, um, Charles Goodyear is the wonderful man who kind of revolutionized the condom and invented the latex condom, which then would lead on to 2015, where 18 billion condoms were used which I don't know how they got that number but yeah 18 billion condoms were used in 2015 so that means in 2015 at least 18 billion people had sex no that doesn't make sense <laughs> in 2015 there was uh, the good people of the world had sex at least 18 billion times that sounds a bit better I mean in 2015, I probably counted to a couple of those billions, so 
You're welcome. You're welcome, Charles. You're welcome. Where the heck did they get the name or the label condom from? Like, that's a pretty wild word. Where'd they bloody pull that from? Well, I was interested, so I looked it up. And apparently, it came from a fella called Colonial Condom. (laughs) I mean, back then, it was probably just like a normal name. But now saying it out loud, it sounds like a really weird, dodgy, drug dealer version of KFC. But um, (laughs) so Colonial Condom was a doctor. um, And he used to prescribe lamb's intestines to prevent the spread of syphilis. Imagine if you needed a prescription to get a condom these days. Shit. I'm just going to take a little think about that because if I, imagine if you had to go to your GP every time you wanted to buy a box of Connie's. Shit. Oh, that would, that would be terrible. I'm so happy we've like moved on from that. So he used to prescribe lamb's intestines to wear over the penis to prevent the spread of syphilis, which again, we mentioned it before. People were real scared of syphilis. We should still be scared of syphilis. It was actually the leading cause at that... So at that time, it was the leading cause of death to soldiers in the army. At that time, there was no real women in the army, so... Dudes in the army back then were dying of syphilis. At the time, condoms were just not made out of lamb's intestines, but they were experimented and made out of fish, sheep, cattle, and pretty much whatever animal... They could get some intestines. They weren't really using bladders anymore, but yeah, definitely intestines. So you have them making your doodle into a fish sausage. Also, I'm not a like biologist and I have no idea of animal anatomy, like human anatomy, sure. But animal anatomy, I can imagine that fish intestines would be quite small. So I don't really know who's putting their little duty in a fish intestine, but I mean, okay. And these intestine-made condoms were actually hundreds of, heaps of them, hundreds of them, were deployed to all the soldiers in the army so they could stop dropping dead of syphilis, which we love a sexual health initiative back in, I couldn't find a year of when this happened, but back in the olden days, a sexual health initiative, love that. In 1873, however, the USA, the United States of America, had prohibited the use of contraceptives. So they made a law that said you aren't to use contraceptives, just get pregnant. Well, I don't know. They they probably didn't say those words exactly, but they prohibited the use of contraception. That brings us to our friend, our dear Dear friend, our long-term friend, well, at least my long-term friend, the pill, the oral contraceptive pill. The pill was created in the 1950s. I think I read it was about 1958. It was created by the Planned Parenthood Federation of America. The pill then became widely available in the 1960s. So widely available means became available everywhere. I believe it became available in Australia in 1961. Um, It was created, as I said, um, by Planned Parenthood Federation. But the two fellas, scientists, cool guys, best guys, pats off to you guys, were Gregory Pincus and John Rock. 
So these two guys got together, put some pills, put some potions together and made a pill and um, lo and behold, doesn't make you preggers. So good job, guys. Hats off to you. Now, bringing it back to our home, to our tried and true place of Australia. Um, actually, you know what? It's come. To, sorry, side note. It's come to my attention that not everyone that listens this um, to this podcast is from Australia. So I saw that on my little app thing. I saw like some people are from all over. So if you're from another country, first of all, I apologize for my bogan Australian accent, even though you probably love it because people like love Australian accents. I apologize. Secondly, hello. How are you? Glad I could bless your ears with my voice. But anywho, bringing it back to Australia, the contraceptive pill landed in Australia, like I said, in about 1961. And it was actually... The release of the pill in Australia actually contributed to many social changes for women. Um, this encouraged a movement. So the the release of the pill kind of encouraged women to take, take a stand for their rights and what affects them. So this meant that it started a movement to seek better health care for women. It seeked their, for them to start a movement and claim back the rights to their fertility and their bodies. It started the movement and it's still widely discussed today around equal pay, you know, work the same as men get uh, the same pay and the right to access better childcare. I mean, <laughs> it's, a bit, it's a bit ironic how the release of con- a contraceptive aid encouraged a movement around better childcare, like just let that sink in. <laughs> but I'm, I read this and I was really chuffed because I, we still fight so much as women to be treated as equals and to know that releasing a little something like the pill really encouraged and empowered women to stand up for their rights and especially their rights to their own body. And when I was reading, I didn't want to get too much into abortion in this episode because I know there's a lot of conflicting opinions on abortion, but I read that a lot about abortion as well. So when abortion, you know, became legalized again and easy to access, it empowered a lot of women. And that's just it. Like we're women. Our body is our right. We can do whatever whatever we want with our body, whatever we want with our reproductive organs. Okay. So don't let any man or anyone tell you any different. Initially, the pill was only available for married men via prescription from a doctor. So that, when I read that, that made absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. If anything, I would think that it would be only available for single women because, you know, sex before marriage, don't do it. And then they were wanting people to get married and they were wanting women to get reproduce. Back in those days, like re- this is like back in those days, this was literally the 60s, but it was still widely believed that in the 60s, especially in country places like the places that I live now, like my town that I'm living in now, they still believed that a woman's place was in the kitchen or in bedrooms spreading her legs. You're cleaning, you're cooking, or you're fucking. That was your job as a woman. So for them to allow married women to have a contraceptive pill, that blows my mind too. Women also used sponges uh, inserted into their vagina. 
oh my god is there such thing as a vagina speech impediment because I can never pronounce it right vagina I'm a nurse vagina um Women back in the 1950s, 1960s would actually soak sponges in lemon juice, vinegar, disinfectants, whatever they could find fluid-wise. They'd soak these sponges in it, insert it into their vagina as a way of stopping the semen from entering their cervix. So, again, my nurse brain is saying infection control, but it gets worse because women back then were also using a douche. And if you're not familiar with what a douche is, it's a device inserted into the vagina or into the anus and it's full of water or full of a liquid. So you insert like a nozzle up there and you squeeze it and it squirts water up and water comes back out in an attempt to clean out the cavity. So they were post-sex douching, which means after coitus, after intercourse, they're inserting homemade douches into their vaginas full of vinegar, Lysol, alcohol, zinc, whatever, whoever, inserting it into this douche and just squirting it, disinfecting the fuck out of their insides, which A, burns, that hurts, never done it, assume, but it probably does hurt, B, brush, again, you are changing your pH, actually you are like burning the fuck out of your pH, so like thrush. I read nowhere that thrush was a rampant issue in society back then, but it obviously was because these chicks were shoving heaps of stuff up their vag. And I also read some places that women were inserting a medication called quinine, 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 quinine into the douches also. And I wasn't familiar with what this medication was. And upon my research, I found that it's actually the medication um, relating to malaria and the treatment of malaria. So I don't know what they thought that did, but they thought it did something. Now, the more that contraception became widely available, the more publications would be released about talking about contraception and talking about other methods you can use for birth control. I am putting quotations. So magazines, newspapers, newsletters, probably not Facebook posts because there was no such thing back in the day, but publications would be released with a whole section related to methods of birth control that you can try at home and some of these methods included coughing after sex so if you got ejaculated in no worries stulls stand up spread your legs do a little squat and cough it'll just fall back out bob's your uncle oh my god Whenever a client asks me on sexual health or contraception tips again, I'm just going to say, babes, just cough after sex. You'll be right. And they also suggested sitting up after sex. So next time you have sex, if you just like shoot back up into a total right angle sitting position, you'll be right. You won't get pregnant. You heard it here first, folks. (laughs) I'm kidding. That sucks. That's not an effective way of contraception. Probably don't do that. And... I mean, no matter what position, no matter what stance you take after intercourse and you get ejaculated in, nine times out of 10, 90% of the sperm actually falls out anyways. So if you've ever been ejaculated in and you get up and walk around and you just feel like this leaking, you've got a like leaking fanny, 
That's because 90% of the sperm actually leaves your vagina immediately after sex, whereas the other 10% of the sperm then enters the cervix um, and in an attempt to fertilize your eggs. So that's just a little fun fact for you. Um, So definitely don't be leaving a snail trail around your house after intercourse. (laughs) My little snails. (laughs) Um, I know I said I didn't want to talk about abortion in this podcast, but I will touch on it briefly because it is seen as a form of contraception kinda in a way because you're taking an intervention to not be pregnant now back in the day I didn't have an exact year reference but back in the day older than this current time there were people that were referred to as abortionists in the community these people were women usually women um sometimes men though too and there were fortune tellers (laughs) midwives which that makes sense midwives nurses and doctors but fortune tellers I mean yeah all right and women were also doing home abortions which means they would literally insert a variety of household objects into themselves in an attempt to perforate the uterus now Again, theoretically, could work, quite smart. Practically speaking, yes, it causes miscarriage, infections, and most of the time, death. Because I'm not sure if you're aware, but an infection, if untreated, turns into sepsis, which means an infection of the blood, which travels all around your body and you die. So women were doing this and most likely ending up super sick, which they just didn't have the medical, you know, means or healthcare back then to deal with that or bleeding out because you can't see, you don't know what you're perforating. You don't know what you're ripping apart. So, yeah. And like I mentioned before, there are so many beliefs around abortion, which is why I didn't want to go too much into it. Um, I personally am a strong, strong advocate for abortion. I think, like I've mentioned before, and you've probably picked up by my previous episodes, that women definitely should have a right to their body and what happens to them. I think abortion should be widely available to women of all walks of life. And, you know, it should be offered openly and freely as a form of termination for your pregnancy. In 1969... abortion was lawfully justified in Australia. So before then it was actually illegal. And in 1969, they said that, yeah, you can do it, um, but it it would have to be found necessary to to preserve the physical or mental health of the woman concerned. So if a doctor or a person couldn't find a abortion justified if they didn't feel that it fell into the boxes of yep physical or mental health you weren't getting an abortion I didn't really find much other information on this what like the process as to which you would have to conform to to get an abortion but I just know it had to be found necessary to do so 
And that brings us to all the options of contraception available to us today. You might be familiar with some of these, you might not. And like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I will be doing an episode on all of these separately. I will combine a couple that are closely related, like the pill and the mini pill will, and the morning after pill <laughs> will be one episode. But these are all the forms of contraception available to us today in 2022. I'm not including the male contraceptive pill. Because I know it's in high, um, you know, it's being talked about a lot uh, this year and last year. And I know it's probably soon to being released, but it's not released yet. And it's not available to us now. So I won't touch on them that yet. I might touch on it later on in a uh, future episode. But just not yet. Um, so we start with my ride or die, the contraceptive... Uh, the oral contraceptive pill. Now I've been on the pill since I was actually 13 and I will get into that more in my episode of the pill. Uh, it's a combined therapy of estrogen and progestogen. 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 I know how to say it, but my mouth actually won't let me say it. And this is said to be 99% effective. Uh, then we've got the mini pill, which is just progestogen. Oh, progestogen alone. Um, and that's only 98% effective. Still quite effective though. I still like your odds on that one. Um, and progestogen is the hormone that stops natural ovulation. So stops the release of that egg. You got no egg, can't be fertilized. So it stops, stops your natural ovulation, which again, we will go more into. So if you're like, please go more into it, I will. Don't you worry. I got you. The next one we'll move on to, though, quickly is the vaginal ring, which I am familiar of, but I'm not like super familiar with it. And it's pretty much just a ring. And this ring contains estrogen and progestogen again, and it's inserted into the vagina and it again prevents that ovulation. We're moving on now to the implant or the bar, as it's commonly known. Um, this is a three yearly you get it changed every three years from your doctor. They make a little slit in your arm. They insert the bar. And this just has progestogen in it. Um, it's a low dose and it just kind of releases throughout the three years. The injections or the depot, which I might be wrong, but I don't personally feel like that's a popular form of contraception. I have definitely administered as a nurse some depo and in contraceptive injections before and it's a three-monthly injection it's literally just a needle you get it every three months and it again contains that hormone progestogen that stops the natural ovulation uh we're moving on to our friends the marinas the iud's which is an intrauterine device so this is a five yearly well the first one I'm going to talk about is a five yearly one. So you get it changed every five yearly and it's uh, the hormonal one. So it, so it contains those hormones that stop your natural, you know, fertility process. The IUD, the copper version of the IUD, you can actually get it changed 10 yearly, which is huge. Imagine having something inserted into you for 10 years. That's crazy. And, I didn't actually know what it did and I researched it and apparently it inflames your uterus 
So the sperm cannot physically fertilize the egg, like effectively. So that is definitely something that we are going to delve deep and deep into because that like wild, that's wild and I need to, I need to know more about that. The emergency contraceptive pill. I think it's a bold statement, but I think it's true when I say it's been a lot of our friends in the past. And it's also commonly known as the morning after pill or plan B, which is a common American term. The morning after pill is emergency contraception. You take it after being ejaculated in. You can take it within 72 hours post-ejaculation. The, fir- the longer you wait, the less effective the emergency contraceptive becomes. If you take it two hours after the fact, it'll be more effective than if you take it 71 hours after the fact. But you do have that window of 72 hours. It is available from your chemist with out script but they do ask you awkward questions don't be awkward you have a right to your body you have a right to be ejaculated in you don't need to feel awkward or shame anywho our last little friends that we're going to mention are more barrier methods of contraception meaning they're not a hormonal you don't swallow a pill you don't get something you know hormonal put in your body These are our things like the condoms, which we've spoken a lot about in this episode, female condoms and diaphragms. So those are all barrier methods of contraception. And of course, methods to stop STD transmission. I also saw on TikTok that there's a company selling latex undies, which I think is amazing. So they sell these latex undies, which are exactly how they sound, undies fully made of latex. And you wear them while you are performing, having someone perform oral sex on you, or you have your partner wear them while you are performing oral sex on them. And this stops the spread of oral STDs, which I think we really forget that they do exist. You can get, you know, herpes simplex virus, cold sores on your mouth. You can get oral thrush. You can get chlamydia in your eyes. Like you can get heaps of STDs relating to your face. So these latex undies, great, great. 10 out of 10 recommend. I've never personally used them, but I love, I love the idea. Any who my friends? My lovely, lovely friends, that concludes our episode on the history of contraception. My lips have all of a sudden got really chapped and I don't know, like in the last like five minutes. Thank you so much for tuning in. And like I said, I will put some things in the show notes, um, resources and support links and numbers surrounding sexual assault awareness month i will also add in the show notes um some resources you can use on further information about contraception i will add since it's relevant to the episode and i don't want to sound like your mom but if you do have questions on contraception your choice of contraception is completely individualized you should talk to your gp or a medical professional about your choices okay just because i've been on the pill since i'm 13 and i talk about it openly doesn't mean that'll work for you either so your choice of contraception is completely up to you and needs to be discussed with your medical professional okay okay that's it for me 
I'm TD. This is Sex, Psych and Self. Thank you so much for listening. Happy, happy break. Have a good Easter. If you don't celebrate Easter, have a good long weekend. If you're not listening to this at Easter, have a good night. Have a good morning, whatever time of day it is, whatever you're doing. Remember, you have the rights to your body. Remember, look after yourself. Look after your mental health. And last of all, most importantly of all, go have some safe sex. But definitely don't use a goat's bladder as a condom. Infection control. (laughs) Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.